That's always a, a stunning stat there, isn't it? Uh, 82% attend end up placing faith in Christ and indicating following Jesus, which is why that next question is really so essential. God is choosing to work for people who show up. And so our opportunity is to invite. And so we put in your bulletin this morning, again, an alpha invite. And if you would take that out just for a second right now, I want to ask you to do something specific with it right now in this moment. This might challenge you. You might have to think for a moment, but you can do this. I want you to think of a person that you might want to invite person you could invite and literally right now write their name at the top. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a co-worker, uh, maybe it's a neighbor, a friend, somebody that you would say they would really benefit from having an opportunity to talk about in a safe environment spiritual things. If you would, write their name on it. And here's why. We talked a couple weeks ago about how we have a privilege to bless this city. And we said, bless isn't random, it stands for something. The B, begin with prayer. The L, listen. The E, eat with them. The S, serve. And the second S, to share your story and God's story with them. Here's what's so cool. Alpha actually does the less of the bless. They do all of it. There's an opportunity to listen, to eat together, to serve, and to share your story and God's story. So that's not starting until September. Right now, what's the B? Begin with prayer. And so what I'd like for you to do is if you would write a name on here and you'd begin with prayer. This would be a reminder, pray specifically for this person and then Offer them an invitation and say, hey, I wrote your name on it as a reminder. I wanted to give this to you. But begin with prayer, then offer an invitation. Because as we said last week, I don't want us to lose sight of the reality that perishing and eternal life are not concepts only. They're realities that it's true not just around the globe. It's true on our own street. So let's begin with prayer. And let's invite so that we can listen and eat and serve and share. All right. If you would now take your message memo out, you'll see that it looks a little different than it normally does. And it's because we're going to do something unique this morning. We're actually not going to look at a specific passage in in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to look at a number of scriptures and look at a number of scriptures for the sake of a DTR. Now, prior to maybe reading in your bulletin, how many of you knew what a DTR is? (laughs) This cracks me up. I only know because of my kids. DTRs define the relationship. Now, lots of us in here are already married, so we have already DTR, correct? We've already defined the relationship, so that's a long past. But prior to marriage, one of the most 
important but awkward things is defining the relationship, figuring out where are we? Are we talking? Are we dating? Are we being friend zoned? You know, what's happening in this relationship right now, right? So we're going to look at a not on a horizontal level, but on a vertical level, a DTR, defining our relationship with God. And I'm going to do so using what you see behind me, these different seats. Here's what I'm absolutely certain. If you'll listen, honestly, you're going to be able to, by the end, go, oh, that's my chair right there. You're going to be able to not only define the relationship you have with God, but determine what's the next steps. Because that's always the point of, of a DTR. Let's define the relationship so we should know how to act around one another. So we're in a DTR this morning spiritually with God. So if you would take your message memo, this chair represents where all relationship with people, all people begin with relationship with God, and that is, there isn't one. This chair, we have to, because of sending it over to North, we have to keep this as close as possible. But if I could, I'd put the chair the whole way off the stage. Because this chair by itself right here is intended to represent that every single one of us were born separate from God. Because of sin, folks will say, I've been a Christian my whole life. And I don't mean to be rude, but that's not true. No one has been a Christian their whole life. The Bible says that actually every person was born dead in sin. So I was born physically alive, but spiritually dead. I was born in this chair, which represents I don't have relationship with God. Now, is this your chair? Sometimes it's confusing. You may think, no, no, this isn't my chair. or Maybe it is. Sometimes we think this isn't our chair because of religious activity or morality. In other words, we have relationship with God because we either attend church regularly or a lot, or we say prayers at difficult times in our life, or we've been baptized when we were a baby, or we are a pretty good person. We're not perfect, but we're pretty good. Because of those things, we often think, we have a relationship with God that this is not our chair. But the Bible says this, and I want you to see it clearly. A man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So you can attempt to be religious and you can attempt to be a better person, but that will never be good enough. That can never bring you into relationship with God. You'll simply be a nicer, spiritually dead person. The only way to enter into relationship with God is, what's it say? Through faith in Christ. So, maybe you're confused already and going, whoa, I thought this was going to be clarifying. I am confused. 
I don't know if I have a relationship with God or not. The Bible gives some clear indicators. Here's one. If the Bible never makes sense to you, then this is your chair. Jesus is absent. If the Bible never makes sense. Now, I didn't say if the Bible doesn't always make sense. There's plenty of times I read my Bible and I'm like, man, I, I'm so confused. I'm supposed to teach this. But if the Bible never makes sense, then you're probably not yet in relationship with God for this reason. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them. Here's why. Because they are spiritually appraised. In other words, the only way a human being can understand spiritual truth is if the Holy Spirit reveals it to them. And so when I am absent of a relationship with God, the Spirit of God is not in me, and the Bible never makes sense to me. Sometimes that's what's so frustrating. I never, it never makes sense. A second indicator, a lack of conviction of sin. See, the Spirit of God in a person is ultimately what defines them as a believer. And the Spirit of God in the person is what helps them understand the Scripture. And as they understand the Scripture, there will inevitably come conviction of sin. You see, when you, if you've been coming and you hear the scriptures taught, do you ever feel conviction? I would think you do. If you never feel conviction, that would be an indication that you don't have a relationship with God because that's the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer. What you can never depend upon is your feelings. And we depend on feelings so much. Well, I feel close to God, or God feels far. The Bible makes it unbelievably simple. Here's what it is. If you have the Son, the Son of God, Jesus, if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. It's that simple. It's not if you have warm fuzzies with God. And it's not if you don't have warm fuzzies with God. It's if you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't, you don't have life. It's always about faith in Jesus. This is why the scripture says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, not a result of religious activity, not a result of morality. Otherwise you could go, well, I've made myself good enough to be back with God. And you and I would never ever be good enough. We not be, well, not saved by works, we're saved by faith. And so the only way to remove yourself from this chair of being absent from relationship with God is to admit that you deserve the wrath of God because of your sin. You're a sinner. You may be nice, but you're a sinner. But you believe that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, that he was perfect. And his death on the cross was not payment for his sin, but payment for your sin and my sin. So that I could 
not earn my salvation. I could only receive it as the gift that it is. I can't earn it. I can't pay it back. I can only say, thank you, Jesus, for doing for me what I could not do for myself. So let me be as clear as I can. If thus far you have thought, I have a relationship with God because you've been religiously active or you've been moral. That is not how you're saved. The only way to enter into a relationship with God is by faith. Admitting, believing, and receiving. Now watch, if you would look up here. When you admit, believe, and receive, you leave, in this illustration, you leave this chair and you are to enter into a relationship with God of love, where he has loved you and you love him. Thus the what? The love seat. You guys are quick. (laughs) So, can I see you over there? It's meant to be a love relationship. But often, instead of living here, regrettably, we get stuck here. What does this chair represent? This chair represents where Jesus is present. I'm no longer dead in my sin. Christ is now present in my life. The Spirit of God lives in me, but fellowship with him is broken. So in in this visual, Jesus has invited me into a relationship with him over there, but this isn't much of a relationship. This would not have been pleasing to me had my first date with Jackie been, hey, babe, this would not be good. So what is this? This is unconfessed sin, what the Bible calls a carnal Christian. And I want to unpack this for you, so please follow if you could. In One of the letters the Apostle Paul wrote, he wrote to the Corinthians. In other words, there were people living in the city called Corinth who were in this chair. Their sin, they were dead in this sin. Jesus was not present in their life. And he went and he taught them the gospel, what Jesus had done, so that if they would admit, believe, and receive, they would be born again to have relationship with God. And they were, they believed but they got stuck here. He says to them, I, brethren, see, they're believers. I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are, uh, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? So if you would look up here, what he's saying is, Jesus has saved you to be in relationship with him, but your fellowship with him is being broken because of, in your situation, jealousy and what else? Strife, the way they were treating one another. For some of us, we are in relationship with God. We have trusted in Jesus to be our savior, but there is sin that remains in our life. Maybe not jealousy or strife, maybe anger or bitterness or lust. 
or gossip or greed or selfishness. And it's not just that we sin, it's that we sin and we don't confess it. It's unconfessed sin. See, I want to be extremely clear. I'm not saying that once you are born again, you never sin again. The reality is that you and I, I'm not minimizing this, but you and I from this day until the day we die, we're going to sin. The question is, as a child of God, when you sin, will you confess it or not? And regrettably, so many of us who were called into that relationship live here. And sin remains unconfessed. So, because let me ask you a question. Do you know when you sin? Yes or no? You do? You know when you sin? Jeez, I do too. So I know that there's sin separates. I know it. But do you always immediately confess? How often we don't. Because it feels like it's too insincere to confess right after your sin. It was like, I knew it, but I did it anyway. Now, will you forgive me? You ever thought that? I got to give it some time. So it feels a little more sincere. Or, you know what happens? We sin. We confess. And, and you know what? When we confess, what happens? We move from here to here. To relationship with God, where fellowship is not broken. The relationship here wasn't broken. The fellowship was broken. So when we sin and don't confess, we stay here. And sometimes what happens is this. We sin, we confess, we sin, confess, we sin, confess, and then we believe this lie. God doesn't want to hear your confession anymore. Ever... Ever thought that? He didn't want to hear this anymore. <laughs> Not until you get really serious about it. Do you know that that's a lie of Satan? Because once you're out of his kingdom, in the kingdom of God, in your relationship with God, he doesn't want you to live over here. He wants you to, your fellowship with God to be broken. So he lies, says God doesn't want to hear your confession. But the, the scripture says the exact opposite. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't run out of forgiveness tokens. You've used them up. But I find, and this may be your chair, that often we grow comfortable living here, knowing we've sinned, but not confessing it to the Lord and, or, and to the person we've sinned against. We just, we just feel like this is going to disappear. Time will just make it fade away, but it doesn't. Or we think, I'll never change. It's just who I am. And we stop confessing. See, I agree with you. We know when we sin. And we know we need to confess. But some of us are out of practice. And this is your chair this morning. And I want to say to you with all my heart, confess your sin before the Lord.
That's the solution, that you would confess your sin. And as you, as you confess your sin, can I encourage you? Don't just say, it was bad behavior, God, I'm sorry. Write this down and I'll explain. As you learn to confess your sin, learn to focus on or refocus on, whichever the case would be for you, to focus or refocus on who you are. By that, I mean this. When I have sin in my life, I need not to just say, God, it was poor behavior. I agree. Please forgive me. What I need to say is, God, that behavior was totally inconsistent with who you made me to be. I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven. I've been set free from slavery to sin. The Spirit of God dwells in me. You've wrapped yourself in my humanity. It doesn't make any sense that that I would live like this. You see, I spent years just just confessing bad behavior when instead what I needed to do was go to the next step and not only confess bad behavior, but acknowledge I was not living according to who Christ had made me as a child of God, set free from sin, the Spirit of God dwelling in me. That lust is just not poor behavior. It's not consistent with what a child of God would look at. That greed is not consistent with who the child of God is. That anger and revenge and lying and stealing and cheating are not consistent with a child of God who's been forgiven and set free from sin. The phenomenal promise of God is this. That if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. See, you're a new person in Christ. It's just not you're the old person washed up, now do better. You're a new person in Christ. So that old things would be passing away and new things would be coming. As we grow, see, growing in Christ is learning to confess more quickly. Don't delay. The great hope is he has promised he's never going to leave you. We declared the promise together as we sang all his promises are yes and amen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when I was in this chair, I was under condemnation. When I'm in this chair, I am not under condemnation. But I'm not living according to who he's made me to be. And so, if you're here, confess your sin. That you might enter in. Well, here's the promise. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, track it through. uh, Having also believed. So you went from this chair to this chair. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge for our inheritance. See, when you move from this chair to in relationship with God, he pours his spirit in you. Not only so that you could walk in newness of life, 
but he pours his spirit in you so that you might understand the scriptures and that you might be sealed, not because of your behavior, but because of his love, you would be sealed for all eternity relationship with him. That you would now move to a relationship here where Jesus is present and fellowship is growing. He was present before fellowship was broken, but here now, present and fellowship is growing. But there's a challenge with this chair. Where's Jesus in this situation, by the way? You understand, it's hard for me to get him here this morning, so, but you have to imagine Jesus is present here. He said he wasn't gonna leave you shaky even when you were over there. He's present here, but there's a challenge to this relationship. The Bible calls these challenges thorns and weights. I'm going to explain. I didn't make up those words. These are straight from Scripture, thorns and weights. The challenge in your relationship as you learn to confess quickly, be in a growing relationship, is you're going to be challenged by thorns and weights. Two analogies that the Scripture gives. First, an agricultural analogy. Jesus said this, the seed, talking about the word of God, the word of God which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, so we've heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. So a challenge to a growing relationship with Jesus are thorns that choke us out from maturity. And I'll explain what they are in a moment, but let me give you the second analogy. It's an athletic one. Hebrews 12.1 says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, in other words, we have others who have trusted in Jesus around us, let us also do two things. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. So this is not growing into maturity of fruitfulness. This is running a race. And he's going, this chair, you can't run a race if you are entangled in sin. Think of a runner, but they have a rope tangled around their feet. That'd be terrible. The first thing you would need to do is to remove the sin that easily entangles. But you also need to lay aside what? Encumbrances, weights. So they're not sin... Their weights. And they are worries and riches and pleasures of this life. So, it might be as simple as social media and my phone. A weight, a thorn. It's not sinful. But does this ever compete with your relationship with Jesus? You're kind of split? Sure. 
Does this ever compete with your relationship with Jesus? You go, that's a big bill. Yeah, some of us have big bills. And those big bills or the big money we've been blessed with, they become competitors. It's not sin. It's thorns and weights. For some of us, it's our hobbies. I could put a tennis racket up here or a fishing rod. Or maybe you love football or maybe you love golf. It's not sin. It just starts to rule your life. See what I'm saying? It's how we spend our time. It's how we kind of just veg out or binge. Sometimes it's often really good things like our kids. But they begin to dominate. Now you, now you see what's happening here? These are thorns and weights in our life that, that they're competing with our growing relationship with Jesus. And, and we feel kind of okay about them because they're not sin. Oh. But they fill up our lives. And... They keep us from running with endurance and they keep us from bearing fruit. So what do we do? What do you do with all this stuff? I mean, you know what some people did in history? They burned it all and went and lived in a tree. Sure, they did. Or they left it all and they went and lived in a monastery. And we're taking applications after the service. No, we're not. Because nobody does that anymore. Now, do you have to burn it all or do you have to go live in a monastery? No. No, I think, I think here's what we need to do. We need to change seats. In our analogy, what do you mean, change seats? Well, I mean, we need to move from here to here. Who was here? Now where is he? Would it make a difference if you were here or he was there? You see the difference? See, the scripture says this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? See, the problem with growing in our relationship with Jesus is not that these things are sin, but they've remained ours. It's my money. It's my time. It's my hobbies. It's my body. Oh, now I need to change seats. What a different life when now Jesus is in that seat and he is, who is he now? He's the owner. 
and I'm the steward. It's, I've relinquished control to him. So you're tracking? Some of you may really relate to this seat right here. Your life not being ruled by sinful things. You're in a relationship with God. You've trusted Jesus. But you're constantly being pulled by stuff and things and activities. And, and you need to relinquish ownership to Jesus and say, you're the owner, not mine. This is not being torn now. It all comes through you. Second challenge. And now this is the challenge to this seat. And don't misunderstand when I say the challenge here. From all that we have demonstrated, this is the seat that we want to learn to live in right here. Not that one absent from God. Not that one where there's relationship but broken fellowship. Not this one where life is competing with our relationship with Jesus. But this one right here. But the challenge to staying here is trials and tribulations. Now, I don't know what you think when you say those, when you hear those words, trials and tribulations. So I want to give you the definition of, here's what I mean when I say the challenge of this seat is when circumstances and people make it hard for me to obey God. When circumstances and people make it hard for me, not impossible because no one or no thing has that much power, not impossible, but they make it hard for me to obey God. This is the challenge of this seat. You tracking? Is it harder sometimes in life to obey God than other times? Uh-huh. Do some people make it harder to obey God? Uh-huh. What do you want to do? When things are hard, what do you want to do? You want to get out. You want to get away from. Hey, we've all done this. Circumstances are hard at work. We just feel so stressed and we just want to bail and we bail and go home and just veg. Ever done that? Or your boss is just a jerk. And he makes it so. And finally, here's what we say. I've had a I've had enough. And we slander him and speak evil against him. We go back to breaking fellowship with God. And we sin. 
You see, circumstances and people can make it hard. And what's so, what's so painful is this. You and I want control. And we don't end up getting control over circumstances and people. So how do you stay here? Well, here's what Jesus says. He says, here's the relationship I want. I want where I'm the vine and you're the branches. In other words, there is relationship of oneness and dependence. Isn't that the picture of a vine and a branch? Oneness and dependence. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. See, this stuff was keeping me from fruit. This stuff was keeping me from running with endurance. He wants us to live a life of fruitfulness. But the key to fruitfulness is me abiding in him. He has promised he's never going to leave me, so he will always abide in me once I'm a believer but will I abide in him? See, the key to this seat is learning to abide in Christ. And here's the beauty of this picture. Abiding means remaining. In fact, some of you in your translation, instead of the word abide, it uses that word. Remain in, you, in me as I remain in you. Abide means to remain. And so the key is not bailing out, <laughs> but staying seated. Is anything or anyone tempting you right now to, to bail out? It's just so hard. Here's, here's what happens. Circumstances get hard. So I bail out and I eat. Ever do that? And I've used this to represent food because Snickers does what? It doesn't. It just says it does. It promises to satisfy. Food is one of those things that we think it's going to satisfy us. So we, we're losing control of circumstances and people. So I'm just going to go eat. Is food wrong? No, it's just one of those things where we seek to find satisfaction apart from Jesus. Abiding is what? What's the word? Remaining, don't bail, don't leave, stay seated. Give you some examples straight from scripture. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. When, when life gets hard, what, see, let me show you. The, the problem with this love seat is it can communicate incorrectly that abiding is passive. Uh, I, just, I just sit here with Jesus. Isn't this sweet? It's just me and you. Just, I have my quiet time all day long. Nobody does. You can't. Abiding is not passive. Abiding is active. What is... Uh, 
action that the scripture says when life gets hard? What's the action? Rejoicing, even though it's hard. What's bailing out look like? Grumbling and complaining. Just the scripture says is sin. Grumbling and complaining and shaking my fist at God and taking it out on other people. Because usually we make people pay when stuff gets hard for us. So don't bail. The scripture says abide. It's not passive. Actively remain joyful. Rejoice always. In everything, give thanks. It's hard, right? How about this? Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. That's active. Because you want to get them back. But you actively remain. And you don't do what naturally you would do and get revenge. And break fellowship with God in them. No? You remain. You don't pay back. Jesus said to his disciples, if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, what should you do? (laughs) Man, how many times in one day? How many times in one day? Seven. We bail at two or three. I mean, usually, you know, you're good for one. But not a second time in the same day. I mean, you got to teach people a lesson. We bail out. And we either refuse to forgive and it breaks fellowship. Or we bail out and lose ourselves in other th- stuff and things. Can you see yourself this morning? <laughs> so, Doug, how in the world, how could I possibly remain when people and circumstances are making it so hard for me to obey? The first might surprise you. <laughs> Just be honest to God and admit to him, this is so hard. Just admit you can't. I I can't forgive him again. I can't love that. I cannot be patient. I've just had it. Admit. You can't do it. See, and until you get there, you're not going to learn to abide. If all you do is as much as you can, you're never going to learn to abide. Abiding is admitting that I'm weak, but believing I have been made one with Jesus.
I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free from sin. The Spirit of God lives in me. Do you understand that what that means? That the Spirit of God lives in you. So that the person who is calling you to forgive, that's who he is. The one who is saying, be kind, don't take revenge, be kind, that's who he is. He is kind. The one who is telling you, be patient. He is patient, that all that he is, is in you, so that you wouldn't bail out because you can't, you admit you can't, but that he can and he is in you. And so you will do what he says, believing he is everything he has promised. That's abiding. But I got to tell you something about abiding. You cannot abide this morning for what circumstances and people will bring this evening. See, I'd been growing up being told, well, you know, just pray. Prayer is the key to overcoming temptation, and prayer is the key to obedience. So I'd get up and I'd pray in the morning. which was great in that moment. But by noon or by five or by seven or by nine, you cannot abide in the morning for temptation you will face in the evening. Abiding can never happen for the future. Abiding is an ever-present active in the present moment. See, if if you're ever going to move from I confess and I sin, I confess and I sin, it's, it's going to recognize that instead of returning, I'm going to remain with the confidence that no temptation has overtaken me except such as common to man. And God is faithful. He will give me a way of escape. And you know what the way is? Him. You know when it is? In the moment. So you want to come to church on Sunday and let that moment be good for the rest of the week. Sorry. It's good for this moment. But it won't make it to lunch. Well, that stinks. Sorry. They won't make it to lunch. You'll have to abide at lunch or not abide at lunch. Tonight, when you disagree with your spouse, you're either going to bail out and just start scrolling or eating or losing yourself in a hobby or sinning against them, or you're going to go, I need to abide in this moment right now. Lord, I can't, but you can. You've made me one, and so I'm going to do what you said, believing that you'll do as you promised. Those are not just cliche words. Those are actions in the moment. Jesus said, if you'll abide in me as I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. But it's got to be in that moment. So, it's a lot of stuff. 
Do you know where you sit? And what to do? If you're here, can I plead with you? Admit, believe, and receive Christ as your Savior. Trust in Jesus as your Savior. If you're living here, don't believe the lie. Confess your sin. Trust in Jesus as your forgiver. If you're here, don't waste your life. Trust that Jesus is your life. Relinquish ownership and give it to him. If you're here, don't bail. One last truth. (laughs) Once you get here, sweet, I've made it. Now you could be here now, here by lunch, and back here this evening. You can't go back here. You've been sealed. But we move potentially between all three every day throughout the day. But here's where he's called you to. Abide in me, remain in me as I remain in you, and you'll bear much fruit. So, Father, that's what I want to ask. If there are any here this morning who are not yet in relationship with you, that you would open their eyes, that they would be born again. They would trust in you and receive the gift of salvation. If that's you, would you tell him right now there in your seat? Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe that you've taken my penalty and I receive the gift of salvation. I don't trust in my activity. I don't trust in my morality. I trust in you. If a sin has continually entangled you, or if you know there is sin in your life right now, confess it right now. Don't wait till tonight. Confess right now to the Lord. Name it. He knows it. He waits for you to name it. And name it not only bad, but name it to be inconsistent with who you are in Christ. Forries, riches, and the pleasures of life are robbing you of growing in Jesus. Relinquish ownership to him right now. Lord, it's your money. This is your body. This is your stuff. And if you're tempted to bail because life is hard right now and people are hard, just tell him right now there in your seat, Lord, I want to remain in you. Admit I can't, but you can. I trust you. Lord Jesus, would you grow us to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I ask it in his name. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. We really do want to be able to pray with you if we can in any way. Uh, Out in the courtyard, we don't have ice cream or cookies. We've got meat. So don't fall in love with it, but go enjoy some smoked meat if you'd like. God bless. Thanks for being here.